Welcome back to The Shorter, a podcast on the Shorter Catechism, where two pastors take 20-something minutes and confess their way through the 107 questions of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I'm your host, Tommy Park, and I'm joined by my co-host, Stephen Spinnenweber. I like your polo. You like Is that? Is that new? Uh, somewhat new. I think I just got this in, in from the order. It's a Nike polo. It's like a golf polo, all hip and swanky. You get the best. Wait, you had fanny packs, croquis. What were the other things you had? Picnic blankets? Yeah. RUF. RUF styling and profiling. Hip and swanky. Well, this is a big week because Halloween, a.k.a. Reformation Day, is coming up. Today's the 29th is when we're recording this, and... So today, we're going to talk about justification. No such thing as luck, only providence. So Reformation Day, what happened on Reformation Day? We celebrate who? Martin, Martin Luther. Luther. Now in the 95 Thesis. And the key part of that was what? what we're, justification. Justification. What, what we're going to talk about today. So Luther was really the one who kind of cracked the door open for the Protestant Reformation after him. It's the Reformation out of which we were born, Presbyterians, Reformed Calvinists, all that. Uh, and, and this doctrine of justification was really the linchpin that made it all possible. Luther himself went so far as to say, justification by faith alone is the article upon which the church stands or falls. Therefore, with all of that pressure applied, <laughs> we're going to talk about justification today. Yeah. Question 33. Um so I'll read it. We'll, we'll dive in. Question 33, what is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepteth us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Guy Waters asked the question in his book, What is Justification? And Clearly, he's basing his answer off of our shorter catechism question, but I'll read his answer there because I, I find it's it's so thorough and helpful, and it will really get us going uh, in our time today. The justification or righteousness of God is a rich term in Scripture that describes an attribute God possesses, an action he performs, and a status he bestows. That status is what we're going to talk about with our time today. Technically... Justification is a word borrowed from the world of law whose opposite is condemnation. To condemn means to declare someone guilty, but to justify means to declare someone not guilty, innocent, or righteous. And that comes from page 12 of his helpful pocket guide to how to be made right with God. Yeah, it's a great little book. We'll put it in the show notes. Uh, Go get a copy. Uh, It's, I don't know, 80 page. I mean, it's nothing. It really could fit in your pocket. Yeah. And in it, is, it is the pockets pockets guy. That's why it's so small. Do you still wear cargo pants? On Thursdays. Nice. So we're going to um, break down the time into five portions. We're really... We're breaking our mold. Yeah. No, but this is an important no topic. Yeah. It is. It, it deserves all five points. Five points oh, of justification. Look at that. We're clever. We're Really what we're going to do is we're going to break down the question itself into four parts. There's really four clauses uh, in the answer. And then Tommy has you know, put together some really good stuff for a fifth point, the significance of Ooh. justification. So yeah, what, we'll, we'll divide it this way. 
The first point, justification is an act of free grace. Second, justification is pardon. Third, justification is acceptance. And fourth, justification is an exchange. So where do we get this idea of justification as an act, Tommy? Well, I think, like you were saying, it's a law court term. So the opposite of someone being guilty, it's this one-time declaration of someone being innocent or not guilty or righteous. Uh, And we see that throughout Romans. We see it, uh, Ephesians 2, you know, but by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. So here the, the catechism is really focusing on the reality that justification is an act. It's a one-time thing, not, and we'll get into this more because, again, coming out of the Reformation and Catholicism, uh, there's this, they view, you know, justification as being infused. So there's this imputation, infusement. Uh, so you kind of continue to keep up your justification. You got to re-up it. Yeah. Here, in according to the Bible, according to how Martin Luther kind of helped us with this particular through Romans, is that justification is not a work of or effort of our own, but is what God has done on our behalf and that he is reckon he has given his record to us so that we might be declared righteous. And there's no take backs. And in the justification that we receive in that once application of it to us is sufficient. Uh, it doesn't need to be completed by our works. It's, it's not insufficient. It's perfectly sufficient. And the way that it comes to us is by free grace. You quoted Ephesians 2. By grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. And going over to Romans 4, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So Martin Luther had, you know, this great quote where he talked about um, how we are, how we're qualified. Uh, I'm looking for that now. Yeah. God does not love us because we are qualified, because we've worked for it, because we've earned it and we've been qualified but he qualifies us because he loves us. And and that's the act of free grace. It's not an act of payment or that God gives us what we're due. Justification is something that we are not due. We are not entitled. We haven't earned it. So that's the first point. The justification is a once for all act and it comes to us not by merit, but by grace. So second point, Justification is pardon. Again, it's a, a legal declaration that we are not guilty. Uh, that we, you know, on that. Again, it's, we'll see because next week we'll look at adoption. So there's this uh, law court imagery. And next week we'll move into the family room imagery, imagery uh, as, as well. And here is just. We are because of what Jesus has done. We are pardoned. We are not guilty. We are free. Uh, we are uh, we're righteous. You know, mm-hmm. even though everything inside of us screams out we're not, but we're declared that. Yeah, I mean, it's important the language that we're using, and I like that you drew that analogy between the courtroom and the family room, because you know we're not just using these terms. Um, to beat dead horses. These are these are very things we need to be really clear on because justification, if it were affected by our own righteousness, that God saw in us anything, or that we, you know, 
needed to be righteous enough to merit his love, that we'd be in a big trouble. But the righteousness that we have is a perfect, whole, and entire righteousness that's been secured for us both by Christ's passive obedience, his wrath-taking, and his positive obedience, his law-keeping. So that's how that all comes to us. And because that's the case, because we have a perfect righteousness, not a relative righteousness that we would possess of ourselves— there is, therefore, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That's the condemnation that our law-breaking brings. And it brings sin, it brings defilement, and all that's been wiped away. We're spotless, blameless in God's sight. Yeah, and this is important because we all, if we're honest with ourselves and honest with our our, our sinfulness, and not just the sins that we have done, but also the sins that have been done to us. You know, there is guilt and shame, you know, surrounding our hearts and our minds and our souls. And and here Paul reminds us, because of what Christ has done, there's no longer that guilt and that shame, uh, that we get to walk with freedom, we get to walk with confidence, we get to approach the throne room of grace with confidence because we are righteous. We we given the opportunity to be there. Mm -hmm. um, and it's all because of Jesus and his work and his righteousness has been given to us. It's the, and we'll get to in a second, that great exchange. Yeah. And so justification beyond just the not guilty verdict, because think in a court of law, you know, you're accused of murder. The best that you can do is walk out of there and say, well, I'm not guilty of murder. You know, you're innocent. I, we don't find blaming you for this. But Guy Waters in this book, Pocket Guide to Being Made Right with God, he writes that God's courtroom is um, both like and unlike human courtrooms. In both God's courtrooms and human courtrooms, the defendant may be found not guilty. Maybe you didn't commit that crime. But whereas in a human courtroom, the defendant may be found innocent or free from blame, in God's courtroom, the defendant may be found positively righteous. So, picture what it would be like if we only had the passive obedience of Christ, you know, given to us. All that active obedience thereafter, the satisfaction of the demands of the law would need to be affected and satisfied by us, and we couldn't do that. So, not only is our slate wiped clean, but positively, we're positively righteousness. Our, um, all the good things that Jesus did are credited to us, which is truly amazing. Yeah, I mean, just think of it this way, you know, again, that courtroom imagery, we don't hear just not guilty, but you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We're accepted. We're accepted. We are, again, kind of a week early, but we're a son and daughter of the king. We have been accepted. We have been entered into the kingdom as as truly one of, one of the kingdom um, because of the righteousness that is, has been positively given to us. Mm -hmm. So, pardon, you know, the justification is pardoned, sin is wiped away, but this is our third point that we kind of launched into. Justification is accepted. The, the positive obedience of the law is given to us. So, our shame and our blame are taken away, and then the acceptance that comes with Christ's obedience comes to us. And this is important that we've used the word declare. Declare. Um you know, at multiple points throughout this episode, Louis Burkhoff makes this very careful point. He says, justification is a judicial act of God in which he declares on the basis of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that all the claims of the law are satisfied with respect to the sinner, both the penalties for having broken it and 
the satisfaction of its demands. But then he continues, it's a declaration respecting the sinner and not an act or process of renewal, such as regeneration, conversion, and sanctification. So we're not denying when we say that we're declared righteous, that there is not transformation that goes on in us, but that justification is not a declaring act, or justification is not a transforming act, it's a declarative act. But transformation's coming. Yeah, and, we, and you'll see this as we walk through the catechism, the difference between justification being an act and sanctification being a work. And we'll see that kind of be more spelled out as we kind of continue to walk through this. Mm-hmm. Which leads us into our fourth point, justification is an exchange. And, and where we got that language was from this word imputation, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So the instrument of this exchange, as it were, is faith. When we have faith in Christ, we give him our sin in exchange for his righteousness. Yeah, a great, I mean, the Old Testament proof text of this is in Abraham, uh, Genesis 15. God and Abram at the time go outside and kind of look at the stars. And the verse that Paul will use later in Romans is Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. You know, so a faith alone and then just again a credited imputation uh, of righteousness was given to Abram at that point. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, 2 Corinthians 5 21. Yep. One of my favorite verses. One of my favorites. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the very righteousness of God. So there's this double imputation, if you will. We impute our sin onto Jesus. We lay our sins upon him, and then his righteousness is laid upon us. And there's a really cool analogy that we can draw from the Old Testament. You think of Zechariah's uh, vision of Joshua the high priest. Joshua, he's standing before the angel of God in filthy garments, and Satan is accusing and saying, how dare you be here? But the angel says to Joshua, or it says, yeah, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him, he said, behold, I've taken away your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. Um, this is cool because have you read the priest, is it priest dirty yeah, robes? Dirty, yeah, dirty robes, yep. R.C. Sprawl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we've read it. But that whole language of this man has, the story goes, there's a monk or a priest who is given these beautiful white robes, and he's going to go preach a sermon for the king, but on his way, he falls into mud and he cannot get the stains out of his clothes, just like we can't remove our sin and you know how deep it's stained. But the prince, the son of the king, gives his robes to the priest, and the priest gives his dirty robes to the prince, which is a beautiful picture of God sending Christ to give us his righteousness, his perfect spotless righteousness. So when we stand before the king, just like in that book, it's as though God looks on us in his son. Yeah, a New Testament example, you know, prodigal son, you know, that, you know, a son comes home and, you know, the father puts the best robe, puts everything back on him, declares him a son. Um, you know, made him right as it said, you know, in in the real sense of the word of putting him back in a relationship uh, with himself and um, with his family there. 
And this is how, as Luther once again says, simul justus et peccator, how we can be simultaneously righteous and sinners. We have a righteousness credited to us, and yet we still wrestle with indwelling sin. So, yeah, this isn't something that God says, all right, I'm going to pretend like you're not a sinner anymore. God knows that we're still sinners, and yet we're, we're righteous in Christ because he's not looking at us based on our standing with him is not predicated on what we've done, but on what Christ has done for, for us. us. Yeah. 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 I mean, this is where a lot of people talk about what's, what's the difference about Christianity. It's the whole do versus done. You know, you don't have to do any, you know, the only thing you really have to do is put your faith in what Christ has done for you. Mm -hmm. And that is just that difference of doing something versus something, realizing that something has been done on your behalf. Uh, and what you need to do is, um, put your faith uh, in the one that has done it for you. So this is, a, you know, again, we're skipping admittedly. There's so much scholarship on this. James Buchanan, Guy Waters. Um, I mean, there's so many books written on justification. Francis Turretin were some books we looked at this week. All of them super profitable and they do deeper dives. And admittedly, we're just skipping, you know, the rocks on the surface of this really deep doctrine, right? Yeah. And we did five skips. Five but points. We're coming into the we're, Ooh, we're yeah. coming into the fifth. Yeah. But what we wanted to do was because a lot of people they know Martin Luther, they know the phrase, you know, justification um, by faith alone is whether you know it's what the church lives or dies on. I think a lot of people know that, but then they may struggle with now. How do I apply what I know about justification? And I think that you've got some really helpful stuff here on the significance of justification yeah, in the Christian life. Well, I'm pr before yeah. Before there, I mean, even we live in a culture that we want to justify our own existence. Uh, Facebook, you know, we got to put up the, or Instagram, or, you know, I know you have a TikTok account now. So, no, you don't. I'm just joking. I will don't. never. <laughs> just kidding. I will never. But we live in a society, our, our resume, our work, that we need to justify our own existence. And the reality is, salvifically, we can never get there. Um, and that's, uh, and that's the true significance of justification is that God is the one who thinks so much of us, even with our poor record, that he sent his one and only son to live for us and to die for us so that he could declare us right, uh, so that we can have a right relationship with him, with others, and even ourselves, that we can uh, be justified through Christ's existence uh, so that we can walk with confidence in our world today. And so we're going to look at how this the significance of justification really changes how we relate to God, others, and even ourselves. Mm -hmm. So relating to God, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus because I the the curse of the law, not that the law itself is a curse, but what our sin brought into this world was fear that we look to God in one of two ways, that we look to him either as a judge and a fearful judge at that because we know that his justice will come down on us, or we look at him as a loving father. So the way we relate to God, we no longer relate to him as our um, a judge whom we fear, but as a father whom we love because he's sent his son to, to die for us. So this is Going back to that Luther quote, God does not love us because we are qualified. He qualifies us because he loves us. And so love really is, is the kind of note of our relationship 
with God on, you know, after we've been justified. Yeah. I mean, again, the famous passage of all the scripture, God, you know, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son so that he could live and die for us so that we, uh, he would declare us right. Not because of what we have done, but what he has done on our behalf. Mm-hmm. And, and that changes our posture. Like you were saying, because we see God as the one who has given everything, uh, we can turn to him in adoration. We can turn to him in worship. We can turn to him uh, as one who wants to live rightly in light of what he has done for us. Um, and so how we relate to God is in a, a response of his grace and his mercy, uh, not responding in him paying a bill for us. Yeah, and trying to work our way into his love. I love old country music. There's really good stuff in there. There's like really bad theology too. Like Alan Jackson, he says in one of his songs, working hard to get to heaven where I come from. And I think that if you believe that your ticket to heaven is punched on the things that you do, then God really just kind of looks like a, you know, overly scrupulous, you know, football coach up there with a clipboard just being like, uh, uh, nope, you know, I don't know if your good deeds outweigh your bad ones here. When we've been justified, when we realize that our relationship with God is a settled situation and that we're not going to get cut, as it were, we have a tremendous amount of peace and the obedience that we perform is no longer this sort of fearful obedience of trying to stay in his love, but it's an expression of the love that we have because we're kept by him forever. So even our obedience becomes sweeter. It becomes not a please love me, but a thank you for having loved me. Yeah, that powerful hymn um, by William Cooper, Love Constrained to Obedience, uh, where it says, To see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his parting voice, changes a slave into a child, and duty and choice. Uh, Sweet words of just as we hear his parting voice, uh, you know, it changes us from slave to child uh, and duty and no longer duty but to choice. Mm -hmm. It's what we want to do in response uh, for what he has done for us. Yeah, it kind of, the analogy, we're not just, you know, a guilty man in a court of law. The judge says not guilty and we, we walk out. The judge is our father and then we can come up to him and say, you know, I've been pardoned because of my older brother. So it changes the dynamic of our relationship to God. We don't live in fear, but in confidence of what he's done. And then it also changes your second point, how we relate to other people. Yeah, because of justification by grace alone, none of us are like a little higher than the person next to us. Uh, uh, Because the gospel, it brings humility to us and so that we can approach one another with that same humility. Uh, that since I'm in here, this family, by grace, then you are you are as well. Um, and that we can respond to one another in that grace. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot more I could say. And we don't live in competition with one another. Yeah, It's not this, I've done more righteous deeds than you have. I'm more justified than you are. I love this. Justification, all people are equally justified. And you know, that can happen in the life of a 
little child and a lifelong Christian. You know what I mean? In terms of, um, it, there's no room for boasting because Ephesians 2, yeah. you, by grace you've been saved through faith. This isn't your own doing. It's the gift of God. So what room is there for boasting? Absolutely none. It gives us a posture of humility in our churches and in our interactions, but then also how we relate to ourselves. What did you mean by that? Yeah. Like I think at the very beginning, we we work so hard to justify our existence. Uh, I think we just live in that world. And I think when post-Christ, as we become a Christian, it's hard to leave that world, uh, you know, because the sin and misery still remains in us. Uh, and so I think because of justification being true, we can look at ourselves differently. Uh, since Christ has justified our existence through his work, um, and then we can look at our work differently. Uh, we can work, we have a different posture. Again, it's not us trying to keep up with the Joneses. Oh, I got to be like this. Trying to prove ourselves. Yeah. Um, what what you do, again, going back to maybe that hymn, is that, we now live in response. Uh, you know, I think Martin Lowe joins jo- Jones in his book, uh, I think Spiritual Depression, that we need to, either we can listen to us or we can talk to us. Um, and I think we just need to preach the gospel to ourselves. I think we need to be reminded that Christ has loved us in such a way uh, that he became sin on our behalf so that we might get the very righteous of God. And because of that is true, it changes how we relate to ourselves, how we talk to ourselves, how we preach the gospel to ourselves. And I think those things are powerful. I think uh, we often get fall, we, we fall in a trap of that keeping up with the Joneses, uh, trying to prove our existence, uh, trying to keep up with spiritual things. Um, As though those made the difference. And it's this idea, once we see who we are in Christ, it's able, only that, once we see who we are in Christ, are we able to silence the inner murmur of self-reproach? Because we try to convince ourselves that we are beyond God's love, that we're, we're not righteous, that we're, there's no hope for us. And when we remember the true object of our justification, and this is an interesting point, we'll come back to it with faith, sometimes people think, well, my faith really is waning here, and my justification is only as strong as my faith. No, your justification is only as strong as the object of your faith. It's not faith itself that saves us. It's what we have faith in. And so, if we remember that our justification is not based upon the strength of our faith, but the one in whom we've placed our faith, that Jesus Christ, who's the same yesterday, today, forever, what we say about ourselves ultimately doesn't matter. What matters is what God says about us. So, we need to, as you said, you know, kind of channeling Jones, we need to be really careful about our self-talk because at the end of the day, the only person whose opinion of us matters is God's. And, and that's the evaluation that we need to keep in our minds. When God sees me, he says, I'm righteous. Why? Because of Christ. And just fixing our eyes you know, on Christ in faith. I think that's um, where, where we go. Yeah, because Christ has fixed his his eyes upon us mm-hmm. you know, in love in love to, to live for us and to die for us and to rise again for us uh, and now being seated at the right hand of God for us uh, that he's there as we learned he's still pleading our case you know that he's still our our true prophet priest and king 
uh, and that he is with us and he's for us. Happy Reformation Day. Are you going to be Luther with the kids? Uh, well, I don't know what I'll be. So you don't know where you're going to be? I don't know. It's still two days away. It's nice to see you really, really thought through on your Reformation Day celebrations. Well, we encourage all y'all to continue on with this conversation through the catechism. Like we said, there's a ton of good resources out there. This is really the crown jewel of the Protestant Reformation. We encourage you to turn it over, look at its many facets, and keep the conversation going. And until we talk next, keep it short. What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace Wherein He pardons all our sins And accepts us as righteous in His sight Only for the righteousness of Christ Imputed to us and received by faith alone